Welcome to the 10th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition, our topics are college basketball and a preview of the NFL Conference Championship Games. Let's jump right in, looking back at some of the week's most significant games involving ranked teams in college basketball, starting with action last Friday when number nine Wisconsin beat Rutgers 60 to 54. Wisconsin plays pretty well to seal a victory in this game while Rutgers continues their losing streak, which eventually reaches uh, where it is currently at five games. After a 7-1 and one start to the year, they're not looking too hot. They're 7-6. Went from, I think, a peak rank of 11 maybe to completely unranked and not even close to it at this point. Not looking good for them. Uh, that's it for Friday's action. Saturday was loaded with ranked opponent matchups. Let's start with number seven, Michigan, being upset by number 23, Minnesota, in Minnesota, 75-57. to Michigan loses this game, but who knows how much the absence of his starting shooting guard, Eli Brooks, affected the outcome. Regardless of Michigan's injury issues, Minnesota played pretty good defense and good offense and took advantage of a lot of sloppy mistakes and bad, bad plays by Michigan. All right, and another upset involving a ranked team, Miami, upset number 16, Louisville, 78-72. Louisville did not look good in this game at all against a very inconsistent Miami team who I think is 6-6 six and six or 7-6 and six on the season. This was not a game they should have lost, and yet they did. They were 4-0 in conference play, so this was surely a game people would have expected them to win easily against, as I said, a very inconsistent team in Miami. But they end up losing this game. It would eventually spiral into something else, but we'll get into that later. Moving on, Alabama beat Arkansas 80-59 to in a win that propelled Alabama into the top 25. Alabama beats Arkansas, a team who at some point this season was 9-0. Alabama continues their dominance in the SEC so far. 6-0 in, non-con- in conference play through the end of this game, 12-3 on the season, or 11-3 on the season, sorry. Though they did play another game later this week, which we'll get to eventually. And uh, Butler upset number 8 Creighton 70-66 in overtime, marking the third big upset on Saturday. What are your thoughts on this game? Creighton had a big lead in this game. I'm very high on this Creighton team. I thought they could challenge Villanova for the Big East title. I didn't think they would, but I I thought they could at least challenge them. They probably won't win it, but especially after this. And even after trailing by 7 points at halftime, they did have a big lead. They cleaned up their play in the second half to force overtime. But the loss that they eventually suffered is a terrible loss, considering Butler was 3-7 and seven on the season going into this game. And then finally on Saturday, number one Gonzaga held off St. Mary's 73-59. Yeah, Gonzaga wins again, although this game is much closer than most Gonzaga games are, including when they play other top teams like Iowa. This game was even closer than that one. St. Mary's had a 10-point lead, actually, with the score sitting at 22-12 midway through the first half. But Gonzaga won on a 20-3 run to end the half, and they kept that lead for the remainder of the game. Uh, let's move to Monday's ranked action with number 2 Baylor beating number 9 Kansas, 77-69. Baylor had a few moments in this game where it felt like Kansas was poking their head back in and they might lose, and Kansas could take the lead. But in the end, I'm sure Baylor fans would tell you that I'm wrong and the game was never in doubt, seeing as how they did lead wire to wire as they moved to 13-0 on the season and continue to look unstoppable by any team other than a team named Gonzaga. Number 23, UConn, was upset by St. John's, 74-70. UConn was playing without star guard James Booknight, but they will be without him for the next couple of weeks, so they need to adjust to that. 
They were only able to muster up 70 points in this game, and if they had found more reliable scoring options, they probably could have built up a bigger lead that would have been insurmountable for St. John's, and they probably wouldn't have gotten upset, but alas, they don't have the scoring output without James Booknight, a 20-point-a-game scorer, and they lose this game. And finally, our our last game from Monday night uh, that we're going to talk about, Florida State beat Louisville 78-65. Florida State continued their hot streak while Louisville continued to be ice cold in this one. Florida State is now in third place in the ACC with multiple games left against the top two teams in the conference to improve that placement, while Louisville kind of looks like a pretender that we thought was initially going to be a big contender. And then let's move to Tuesday and start with a big upset, both uh, in terms of the game and the score itself. Florida upset number six, Tennessee, 75-49. to This upset by Florida was very, very unexpected, and definitely the margin by which they won is jarring. It's never a good look when you score less than 50 points in a game, but it's especially not good for a top-10 team, number six in the country, as we said, playing against an unranked team who has had some struggles and has even lost to a very... Uh, abysmal Kentucky squad, even. And another top 10 action, number three, Villanova, barely hung on to beat Seton Hall 76 to 74. Seton Hall is playing pretty different, uh, pretty good basketball this year, pretty decent basketball. Sandro Mamukelashvili is a very good player and is keeping them in every single game that they play. But Villanova hadn't played a game since December 23rd before playing this one. And credit to Villanova for looking like a team that had some decent rhythm. I thought that if they left the game too close, their lack of rhythm and not playing in basically a month would really hinder them in a close one they would lose, but they actually ended up, game was really close throughout it, and they still pulled out the victory. And another top 10 team in action, number seven, Michigan rebounded from that loss at Minnesota by destroying Maryland 87-63. Michigan was hoping for a big response after their quest of an undefeated season was spoiled by Minnesota last Saturday, and oh boy did they get a massive response from their team. Michigan made their first five or so three-point attempts in the game and played great defense on the way to a blowout victory over Maryland. Purdue, also in the Big Ten, upset number 15 Ohio State 67-65. Purdue is really a team that is being slept on so far in the Big Ten by the national audience. I'm sure pundits of the Big Ten know how good this team is. And I mean, they 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 have played very good games this year. They have been very close in most of their games. And even in this one, they were down five points with two minutes and eight seconds left. But Travion Williams hit a hook shot, Sasha Stefanovic hit a three, and then Jaden Ivey hit a game-winning three with five seconds left. And the smart play by some of their more experienced players, Aaron Wheeler not only fouled Dwayne Washington before letting him get a three with less than five seconds left to to potentially tie the game, he fouled him, sent him to the line, he made him intentionally miss a second free throw, and even secured the rebound and threw it up sky high to make sure that nobody could touch the ball at the end of the game, a play that... I always talk about people wanting to do that they never do, but smart play by Wheeler in that one, and that's how Purdue pulls out the victory. Yeah, that's uh, to me, is the smartest play in sports that's never used. When time's about to run out, just throw the ball up in the air no matter what sport it is. Well, I guess unless it's a very short Threw it at the opposite ball. backboard, yep. Throw it, throw it, take three, four seconds off the clock. That's the end of the game. Um, number 18, Alabama hammered LSU 105-75 in our last action from Tuesday that we'll talk about. John Petty hit his first seven three-point attempts in this game on Alabama's win to an absolutely absolute crushing of their rivals, LSU. Look, I'm going to put it simply, Alabama's going to win the SEC. I'm booking it right now. With this win, they moved up to 7-0 in conference play with the closest teams behind them sitting at two losses, including LSU. And two of those teams, Missouri and Tennessee, play each other this Saturday, so one of them is going to fall down to three losses, 
and there will only be two teams within two games of Alabama, and one of those teams they have already played. I think Alabama is easily going to win the regular season. They already beat Tennessee, so I'm not worried about them playing other top teams in the SEC. I'm very high in this Alabama team. Yeah, it looks like that Nate Oates coaching hype was uh, well-deserved. I don't know if Alabama fans uh, will be, if they could be any more insufferable after their football success, if they turn into a top 10 SEC basketball program, look out. Hopefully they don't uh, take up hockey or something. Uh, Let's move to Wednesday's action. Providence upset number 11 Creighton, 74-70. Creighton continues their downwards trend, and they really have not looked good recently in these games. Providence and Butler are not even the cream of the crop teams in the Big East. So Creighton has to pull it together soon to make sure they stay near the top of the standings, especially considering that if you're not playing the good teams, you're going to have to play them eventually. They're going to play your Villanovas, your Seton Halls, your Marquettes. They're going to start playing them, and they really have to play better if they want to win those games. Yet another upset involving a ranked team last week. Georgia Tech beat number 20 Clemson, 83-65. to Clemson loses their second game in a row by an average margin of loss of 26 points, nevertheless. They initially looked like a major contender in the ACC, just kind of like Louisville, but now they just look like a team who is completely lost, and they haven't been able to find their footing in these past few games. Maybe they'll find it eventually, but they were playing some teams close and going into overtime with a few teams initially, and now they're losing those games, and it's not even close. Uh, that wraps up for Wednesday, and we will conclude our look back of the week with a one game on Thursday, and not surprisingly, given the trend of everything we've talked about here, another upset, another top 10 upset, this time a top 5 upset. Indiana upsets number 4 Iowa, 81-69. It's almost starting to feel like a regular college basketball season with upsets galore, though this one actually takes place on the road. This definitely would not have happened if there were fans Indiana pulls up a huge upset on the road. Indiana went on an 18-4 run after Iowa took the lead 55-53 in the middle of the second half. Overall, this loss by Iowa was a bad offensive showing outside of Luka Garza's 27 points, and their supporting cast is going to need to play better than this to stay near the top of the standings in the Big Ten. Speaking of standings, this loss by Iowa puts Michigan at the loan of the at alone at the top of the Big Ten standings and ties the Hawkeyes with Wisconsin for second. All right, and although we've looked back at games for the week, uh, while we didn't talk about them, meanwhile, Kentucky continues to struggle. Patrick, your thoughts on the Wildcats? Kentucky lost 66-59 to at Auburn last Saturday, then lost 63-62 to at Georgia on Wednesday, and Auburn and Georgia were only 1-4 in the SEC prior to their wins over Kentucky. These two losses followed Alabama beating them by 20 at home the prior week, so after looking like they might have turned things around in their season after their 1-6 and six start and getting three consecutive wins to get back to 4-6, and six, the Wildcats are now on a three-game losing streak, sitting at 4-9 and nine on the season, 3-3 three and three in SEC play, and are seventh place in the SEC, which is three and a half games out of the first spot, after only six conference games played, not to mention their next game is against LSU, who is much better than the Auburn and Georgia teams they've lost to. And then they have four games against top 20 teams. They play number 18, Alabama. Then they play number 4, Texas. Then they play number 19, Missouri. Then they play number 6, Tennessee. So it is possible that Kentucky, I'm sure they will win one of those games because it's college basketball after all. I would probably think they're going to beat Missouri just jumping out randomly. But I, I do think that it is possible for them to have an 
eight-game losing streak, which is something if you said before the season about a Kentucky team would be such a would look you'd look so stupid for it, but now you'd look so smart for it. But you know, the, it really is looking bad for Kentucky, and if they ended up losing these next five games, they would be at four and fourteen, and I don't think that's a position they could be they could recover from. So, given what you just said, it might be a stupid question, but uh, Patrick, what do you think uh, is the likelihood that Kentucky will avoid missing the NCAA tournament for the first time since 2013? To me, the likelihood is whatever percentage you would attach to them uh, somehow only losing two games, I'd think, for the rest of the regular season. And if they didn't do that, it would be the percentage, that percentage plus the percentage of them winning the SEC tournament, which I don't think is very likely. I would say they have like less than a 5% chance to to get into the tournament at this point. They really need to start playing well. We know that they have the potential to be a top 10 team. So theoretically, it's possible that they could beat Alabama and Texas and Missouri and Tennessee but, you know, a lot of teams go into the season ranked pretty high and might end up out of the rankings or significantly lower by the end of the season, and they might just be one of these teams. It's just unusual to see this happen to a Kentucky team and see it to the extent that it is with them being 4-9. and nine. It's not like they're 9-4 and four with, with number one expectations. They're 4-9 and nine with top 10 expectations. It's pretty... It's pretty awful for them, and I don't think they're. I, I don't think they're going to make the NCAA tournament. I don't think it's likely. I, I mean, it's possible, as I just said, but I don't think it's likely they win more than one game against LSU, Alabama, Texas, Missouri, and Tennessee. And based off of their recent performances, they'll probably lose to somebody like a Texas A&M or a Mississippi State later on in the year anyway. So I don't think it's very likely for them to make the NCAA tournament at all. So this next five-game stretch is going to be telling. We'll see how they do. Uh, maybe they go, if they go 3-2 and two or 4-1, and one, they can resuscitate those NCAA tournament uh, hopes. But uh, we'll see what happens, and we'll be sure to reflect back upon that and take a look at whether Kentucky continues to struggle or whether they can right the ship and keep it right at this time in the weeks to come. With that being said, let's wrap up our look back at college basketball with your thoughts on college basketball's player of the week. It seems as though the stars are not shining as bright as they normally would. A lot of teams going 1-1 one one this week, no no real big 2-0 and o teams, and even in those games, some players are having off nights and then good nights on the next one, so there isn't really a strong contender this week. But I'm going to go ahead and give it to Kofi Coburn from Illinois. He averaged 18 points with 11.5 rebounds on 76% shooting. Especially the performance that stuck out to me was the fact that he shot 7 for 7 from the field and scored 15 points against Ohio State. And not only did his team lose the game, but everybody was talking about how he didn't do enough. And it's crazy to see a guy shoot 100% from the field. And people still say he's not doing enough. Ohio State did a great job of denying him the ball, but he's still my player of the week. They can't deny him of that. All right, well, that wraps up our look at college basketball for the week, and let's turn our attention to the NFL and a preview of conference championship games taking place this Sunday. We will start with the NFC championship game, which features a matchup between the number one-seeded Green Bay Packers and the five-seeded Tampa Bay Buccaneers at 3.05 Eastern Time, with a forecast for snow, with temperatures in the high 20s at Lambeau Field. Patrick, your thoughts on this game? 
Antonio Brown is out for the Buccaneers, which is a crucial loss for Tampa Bay. It will probably alter their game plan and personnel a little bit. We know that Tom Brady likes to run two tight end bunch sets and five wide sets a lot, but maybe they might do a little less of the five wide and a little more of the two tight ends to replace Antonio Brown, but still keep that familiarity of playbooks. But honestly, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers have been on a roll recently. And just like in the Saints-Bucks game last week, I think the regular season matchup can tell you a little bit about these teams and how they match up. But I'm going to not make the same mistake that I did last week by picking off of that game. I'm going to disregard what happened in the regular season for this game. And I will pick Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams to outduel Tom Brady and Mike Evans. Give me the Packers 31-24 in the matchup of the second most touchdown passes in a playoff game at 87, the most being Mahomes versus Luck at 89 for a season. Well, and it's also a matchup of the oldest quarterbacks ever in title game history. Tom Brady at 43 and Rodgers at 37. Um, so at combined age of 80 years old between the quarterbacks. But the first postseason meeting between Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, obviously they've been in opposite conferences, but they've never faced each other in a Super Bowl. Uh, most people would have figured, put probably put good money that their first meeting would be in a Super Bowl uh, in the postseason, but it's, it comes in an NFC Championship game. And then another uh, little note here, Bruce Arians looking for a bit of uh, redemption, blowout redemption. As the last time he coached in an NFC Championship game, uh, he was blown out 39-15 in 2016 as head coach of the Arizona Cardinals against the Carolina Panthers. Uh, Now let's turn our attention to the AFC, uh, where Conference Championship weekend action concludes on Sunday at 6.40 Eastern time in a matchup between the top two seeds from that conference, the number one Kansas-seeded Kansas City Chiefs, hosting the number two-seeded Buffalo Bills. Patrick, what are your thoughts on this matchup? Yeah, regardless of who wins this game or the last game that we talked about, the Super Bowl will be the battle of an old guy against a young guy. But Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs are great, but I said it last week on the podcast, if Mahomes plays, the Chiefs win. Mahomes is playing, so I have to stick with Mahomes and the weapons around him to win. Why would I ever go against him? He's 24-1 in his last 25 games, including playoff games. With a Super Bowl win, and the only loss came in overtime against Tom Brady because his defense jumped offsides in that overtime and gifted the Patriots a first down. He never even got to see the field in that overtime. Mahomes has never failed to deliver in any of his last 25 games. Again, the only game he lost is when he wasn't even given the opportunity to deliver, but he will be playing, and he will deliver. I have Kansas City winning this one 35-27. I I know that Mahomes is turf toe or whatever they think it might be might uh stop him in the running game a little bit and the but the Chiefs blew out the Bills in the last game again I'm not saying the regular season result is indicative because the Bills have been on a roll ever since then only losing a game on the Hale Murray but I I do think that the Chiefs still have the advantage in this game and their defense has been playing better since they played the Bills well in a little bit of a note the Bills returned to the AFC championship game for the first time since 1994 uh Prior to that time, they've been a mainstay in the AFC Championship game, appearing in four consecutive AFC Championships, and then proceeding to lose each of the subsequent Super Bowls. So, and and also not to mention, the Chiefs and the Bills, actually CBS published this today, and I found it very interesting. These two teams have played each other in the AFC Championship game every 27 years for 
the last three meetings, actually, in the playoffs. They played each other in 1994. They're playing each other in 2021. And before 1994, 27 years before that, in an AFL championship game, before the merger even happened, uh, I just hope that Tom Brady has retired by the time we see this matchup again in the AFC championship game in 2048. I really hope it's not Tom Brady against Drew Brees' son playing, and it might be Tom Brady's kids against Drew Brees' kids, well, but we'll see. That is an interesting note. I'll have to go on my calendar and put a reminder for uh, August of 2047 to put a bet down in Vegas that uh, we'll have a Bills-Chiefs-AFC championship matchup, assuming the AFC exists, that those teams are still in the same cities and everything else. But that's, that's a pretty interesting fact. I hadn't heard that one before. So uh, besides these random historical notes, uh, Patrick, you've obviously predicted a Chiefs-Packers matchup, but why don't we just take a look at the final four teams uh, and maybe rank them in terms of your like feeling of your likelihood of them to win the Super Bowl. In terms of who's the most likely, I think any team that has to play the Chiefs automatically gets a little downgrade, and there's only one team who doesn't have to play the Chiefs, and that's the Chiefs. So number one for me has got to be the Chiefs. I think number two is actually the Packers. I think that they have a better chance to win outside of the Chiefs than anybody else this weekend, which is the most important game because you have to get to the Super Bowl before you can win the Super Bowl. And then I would put the Buccaneers because I think that if they beat the Packers, they will have such they will have so much momentum going into the Super Bowl that they would e- that they would be able to beat the Chiefs and I mean Tom Brady and Mahomes have played each other before. It's always an exciting matchup when they play and It'll I be a think home game. And it would be a home game for Tampa Bay, which would make a huge difference in the game. So that all will make a large difference. And the Bills are the team that have to play the Chiefs first. The Bills would have the hardest path by far because they would have to play the Chiefs and whoever's the real better team out of the Packers and and, uh, Tampa Bay. Well, so Patrick thinks uh, it won't be the Super Bowl this year. It will be the State Farm Bowl this year with Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs against Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers in Tampa on February 7th. Uh, we will see how accurate that prediction was. I actually agree with you. Um, and that will, will be the subject of our discussion in our next podcast, which will be on Monday, January 25th. We'll recap uh, that the NFL Conference Championship games. We will review the latest NBA action, and we'll check in on the accuracy of Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. Uh, that wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. But in the meantime, please be sure to go visit that website where in addition to Patrick's weekend predictions, you can see his NCAA tournament bracket predictions and other compelling content. Again, that's at our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you again for listening.